Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Welcomed. Um, but anyways, uh, Psalm chapter number 42 is where we're going to be today. We've got two more lessons in this series. It's driving me crazy that we're going to end on lesson number nine um, because that's a weird number to end on. But um, two more lessons in this series after this one. And so um, then we will uh, move into something else. But I said at the beginning of this series that this is uh, possibly the most important series that we will do as a class in Crosspoint, and here's why. Um, I try, and I'll mention this again at the end of the lesson, I try very hard to not teach you something that God is not teaching me. Um, I think sometimes we get into uh, maybe um, a perspective as a speaker, as a preacher, as a teacher, to where um, I tell you what's good for you, and it's just something that is maybe crossed my brain or maybe there's I've seen like problems in someone's life. And so we speak out of kind of our life experiences and we tell people this is what's good for you. And we're not actually always living it or maybe not even comprehending it. Um, this is very much the, something the last seven weeks and all the way through the week number nine. This is something that God has been working on me about. Um, this is not something that I am telling you to do and not even evaluating my own life. In fact, a lot of the challenges that I'm giving, I'm trying to do them a week ahead of time um, to kind of place them in my life. And so um, when we talk about it being a life-changing series, ultimately that comes down to application. One of the things that I have realized the most about the church, and I actually think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is we do a lot of talking, okay? Just church in general, a lot of talking. And then add on top of that, that now Matt's making me make videos where I have to talk more. Um, I'm running out of stuff to I'm just kidding. I'm not running out of stuff to say, unfortunately. They're like five to ten minute devotion. And they didn't give me a timer. And so I got done. And they're like, I was like, how long was that? Like, oh, 13 minutes. I was like, okay, well, give me a timer next time. Okay. Anyways, but so a lot of times we do a lot of talking. We do a lot of, hey, this is what you should be doing. This is, this is what God says. And sometimes here's what I've found is that normally we can take all of the talking and just put it down into life application. And so for six weeks, we've done a lot of talking. We've done a lot of maybe, hopefully, learning. We've done some growing. Today is put it into practice. Today is life application. And if you will bear with me for just a couple of minutes today, I think that by the time we get to the end of this, there could possibly be a bridge in your brain that is built that can help you really grasp the whole concept of the Christian life. And so that leads us to this thought for lesson number seven. What habits help my soul? What habits help my soul. Now, I understand that when we use the word habit, we are immediately our um, legalistic antenna goes up and we think, well, I don't have to do anything to earn God's grace. And that's absolutely not what we're talking about at all. Um, you don't have to do anything to maintain your physical health, right? 
but most of you will put healthy habits in place to maintain your physical health. And here's what you have to understand about the Christian life. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you did everything that there was to do to get a relationship with God. You did everything that there was needed to do to begin to have access to God. And you did everything that there was needed to do to gain eternity in heaven. But that does not mean that your soul will naturally be maintained. In fact, I would dare argue that we would lean more to it being unmaintained just because of the culture that we live in and the life that we have in this body as fleshly human beings. So therefore, there has to be some habits that we put into place. And as we'll see in just a second at the end of the lesson, the goal is not discipline in the Christian life. The goal is relationship. And here's what is so hard about the Christian walk, is that that relationship is invisible. But if you will once again bear with me until the end, I hope that we can draw something in your brain that will help all of this click. It's helped it click for me, and I've been teaching it and speaking about it and talking about it for however long. Okay, So what habits help my soul? We used Psalm 42 last week. We're going to stay in that passage just because it kind of can, this is a continuous thought. So two weeks ago, we talked about what are the things that steal from my soul or what are the things that really suck life out of my soul? What are the enemies of my soul? And we said that that kind of works like a bank account, all right? We said that those are the things that make withdrawals. Last week, we talked about the things that make deposits. So what are the things that help my soul? What are the things that benefit my soul? What can I put into my life that is a deposit, okay? When you make a budget, you know that I've got these things that are going to be withdrawing, and I better have a job that makes sure that it's making a deposit so there's something to withdraw from. There are things in this world that are naturally going to drain you, okay? There are things in this world that are naturally going to suck the life out of you. But you better make sure that you're making some deposits along the way. All of that is built upon the habits that you put into your life. And so we're going to continue that. What habits help my soul? So Psalm 42, verse number 1 says this, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them of, to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Let's go back and look at verse number one. It says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. Let's pray and let's ask him to help us as we look at really this real life application of what habits help my soul. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to look into your word. Or we thank you for the opportunity to have a God who really heals us and helps us at the deepest level. Lord, a level that many of us, if we were honest, would be scared to go to. Lord, a level that most of us, we don't even really think about in a day-to-day -day basis. And I know that if statistics are true, and Lord, even if they're not, Lord, there are people that are sitting in this room that have hurts that no one knows about, that need help 
in an area that no one else knows about. And Lord, they're really just counting on you to come through. They're counting on you to make a difference. And sometimes when it doesn't happen maybe the way that they planned, we don't know how to process that. We don't know how to stay in communication with you. There may even be some in this room that are bitter toward you. God, I ask that you would help us today to take the habits that we're about to talk about and begin to see how you can change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you give me wisdom as I speak. Lord, you know that really the whole series has kind of built up to this. And so, God, I pray that we would not have just developed a head knowledge, but that we would actually go out, change the way we live, change the way we act, and begin to enjoy the benefits of the Christian life. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we closed our um, lesson really by going back to the Garden of Eden. And we talked about how the deposits are made so that you can spend time with God. When you look at the Garden of Eden and when you look at really the whole realm of Scripture and the whole narrative and story of Scripture, here's what I believe that you will find. Man was created to be with God. In fact, if you look at the perfection of the Garden of Eden, we are living in God's plan B, okay? We are living in a state that God did not intend. Just because he did not intend it does not mean that he did not know that it was going to happen. Let me clarify that, okay? God intended for us to be able to enjoy each other in perfection. God intended for us to be able to enjoy him in perfection. So when God created the world, he created Adam, he created Eve, he created everything that was in it, let's go back and let's recall a couple of simple facts about that. Number one, there was purity, okay? Adam and Eve were able to come and go as they pleased. They were able to be completely pure and honest before God and before, he, before each other, okay? But you also see that there was a time, and this is so intriguing to me, that God would walk with man in the garden. Let that sink in for just a second, okay? That God would walk with man in the garden. In fact, when Adam and Eve's sin is confronted, it's when God has come to visit them, okay? I remember when we first had our kids, uh, my father-in-law would show up almost every day after work. And Braxton, I remember we would bought him, just when he had learned to sit up, we had bought him this little red car that had like a fake steering wheel, but it had a handle to where someone could push you, okay? And I remember my father-in-law, when Braxton was first born, he would come almost every day after work on his way home, and he would take Braxton on a walk in that little red car. You walk with people, and I want you to listen to this, you walk with people that you intend to get to know and who you enjoy being with. Most of you probably are not going to go home and knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, neighbor, it's great to see you today. Let's go on a walk, right? Your neighbor will be like, why? Are you going to kill me? <laughs> right? You walk with people, and guess what? Let's now refer to something that we hear very often in church. How is your walk with who? God. How's your walk with God? You go further on in Genesis and you find the name Enoch. Enoch walked with God. In fact, you don't really hear anything else about Enoch other than Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Enoch was so close to God that God said, we're spending time together. You're not going to die. I'm just going to take you on with me. So Enoch walked with God. 
the whole point of Scripture, the whole point of even the Gospel, changing us, saving us, is so that you and I, as human beings who once again are living in God's plan B, can enjoy that fellowship with God in a very messed up society, just like Adam and Eve did. Now, it's not going to be to the same honesty as Adam and Eve. It's not going to be the same purity as Adam and Eve because we are now flawed human beings, okay? Your soul, and I want you to listen to this, started with the intent when you go back to Adam and Eve to be with God. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, chances are you accepted Him as your Savior. Why? So that one day when you pass from this life into the next, so that your soul can be with God. So at the beginning point and at the ending point, the point and the intention of the soul is that it should be with God. So let's put ourselves in 2020. How much time do you spend focusing on being with God? Now listen, I want you to listen to that question again. Because this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, how many days a week do you read your Bible? I'm not saying, how much time did you spend in prayer this week? I'm not saying, did you go to church this Sunday? Obviously, you guys can check that one off, all right? I'm not saying, are you doing something for God? I'm saying, how much time did you spend focusing on being with God? And here's what I know about most of you in this room is that you have someone that you are close enough to to where if you wanted to, you could spend your whole day with them, couldn't you? Through texting, through social media, through whatever. There is someone in this life that you probably love well enough to where you're in a group chat with them and you want to see everything that they say back and forth. Oh, so-and-so sent such a funny gif, okay? Oh, my goodness. Ha <laughs> ha, laughed at that, all right? You can be with them all day. And sadly, what many of us do is we isolate our time with God to this time in the morning, this time in the week, and we never once let him be with us throughout the rest of the day. And I don't even know that it's as much as that he's not with us. It is that we are not with him. And so with that in mind, let's talk about four habits. These are very practical. And if you'll let me get to the conclusion, I'll try to draw that bridge for you that we talked about. First of all, spend quiet and focused time with God. Spend quiet and focused time with with God. You say, oh, I already did that. I'm good. I checked it off my Bible reading list app this morning. I checked it off my checklist. No, spend quiet and focused time with God this morning. I want to ask you a question. If you went on a date with someone, you would probably take your laptop. You'd probably pull up a Netflix show. You'd probably make sure that you um, had your phone on ring, right? No, that's not at all what you would do. If you were wanting to get to know someone, you probably wouldn't even put a time crunch on it, would you? Well, I'm going on this date, but if I could like squeeze you in between 8.30 and 9.15, because I've kind of, like my show comes on at 9.30, NBA Finals, or maybe the World Series is on, so probably need to get, no, if you're going on a date, you're not going to put a time crunch on that, are you? 
You're not going to bring every distracting thing that you can bring with you. Like, kind of got to stay up to date on my emails from work because I'm super important, right? No, you will spend time with them because you want to get to know them, right? And many times what we will bring into our relational types and relational moments with people that we can see eye to eye with, we don't even do with the God of the universe. We come in distracted. We come in with maybe our phone and all of the alerts on it. Or, man, I, I haven't checked. I got to make sure that I can check social media before I go to work. And, and so, God, I'm going to dictate 30 minutes to you. Here's what I want you to see. Quiet and focused time does not have an ending point on it. It does not have a limit on it, all right? You don't need to set a screen reminder for your Bible app, all right? You have spent too much time in your Bible app. Don't do that, okay? Here's what I've got to get, here's what I'm learning in my own life. Is that if I, if my soul longs to be with God, if it was created with God and it is purchased and bought through the redemption of God's blood and through the gospel, it one day will be with God for eternity, then guess what? I need to change my life and my schedule to make myself be with God more. And that doesn't always involve a perfect desk set up and a cup of coffee with Jeremiah 29, 11 in the froth of it, okay? Sometimes that means that in the middle of your day, you're going to have to stop and you're going to have to say, God, help me with this. God, I need some wisdom here. God, I need to settle down. I need your peace. God, help me with this stress that just came up in my life. So spend quiet and focused time with God. What if your lunch break looked less like this and more like focusing on God? I actually read this week, one of the things that I'm reading to study this, the guy was encouraging people to be still. And he used the verse that I've used in here, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And he said, isn't it funny that even in stillness, sometimes we focus on how good we are at being still? When was the last time you sat in a chair and didn't do anything but focus on God? And it was funny because he did that. And that night I told my wife, it was like one of those just like, this is my season. I was like, man, I just want to go outside and just sit and like look up. Well, I walked outside and guess what? My kids' toys were everywhere. I didn't sit down once. I just started picking up toys, and, and, and I also saw a six-point buck that night, so that was worth it all. I don't know if that was God. Like, that was God. That was, <laughs> but listen, sometimes we are so, our society has not created us to be patient, right? You sit down, and you try to think, or you try to meditate, or you try to think about God, and guess what? Well, this is what I need to do. I wonder if I'm doing really good at being still. Yeah, I'm pro probably give myself a six. I need to at least work up to an eight, though, if I'm going to be good. We're constantly in this success mode to where we're trying to do something that God never intended us to do. So spend quiet and focused time with God. The passage that you have there in your, in your notes is Mark 6, verse 30 the, uh, through 32. This is such an interesting story, all right? Let me give you the context, and you can go back and read it on your own. Mark 6... This is the first time that Jesus sends out his disciples to go and work for him, okay? 
So you get to Mark 6, chapter, or Mark chapter number 6, verse 30, and it's when the disciples have come back to Jesus. So they're getting ready to give a report. So can you imagine for just a second, you followed Jesus for how many ever months, and he says, all right, this is your first time to get to go out and do it. It's like when your boss says, hey, this is your first time to do the job on your own. And you're like, oh, about to prove how good I am, okay? And the disciples come back from that, and in verse number 30, it says that they tell him everything that they had done and everything that they had taught and all the work that they had done. And you know what Jesus does? He says, good job, all right, mission completed, here's your next task. No, he doesn't do that. No, he says, good job, come away with me to a desert place and rest a while. And so much of our Christian life is characterized by what we do that very few times do we ever come apart and focus on who we are doing it for. So first of all, spend quiet and focus time with God. Secondly, see sin as something that keeps you from being with God. I want you to look, take your Bibles and quickly turn to 1 John chapter number 3. I'm turning there with you. 1 John chapter number 3. We gotta fly through the rest of this, okay? First John chapter number three. The chapter starts with a popular verse. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. But I want you to look at verse number six. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. We live as Christians in the age of grace. But to say that our sin does not affect us is wrong. To say that we get to live however we want to is wrong. Let me illustrate it to you like this. If your parents, when you were a child, went and told you to clean up your room, you went in, and instead of cleaning it up the way that you knew that mom intended it to be cleaned up, you shoved everything under the bed, you shoved everything in the closet. Is the room clean? Yeah. Right? Yeah, you can check it off the list. Did you clean your room? And guess what? Even if mom comes and checks, wow, good job. But the next day when she goes to hang your shirt up, it's like, oh my goodness, what happened? The room is clean, but there's still some hidden something hidden, isn't there? So chances are, if you've acted that way, you're not going to walk out to mom, mom, thank you so much for all that you've done for me. I sure do love you. No, you're going to come home from school and probably like, okay, did she open my closet? Did she look under the bed? Did she? There's going to be some tension in the relationship, isn't there? Why? Because there is something hidden. There is no, there is no opportunity for complete honesty. And when there is sin in your life that is known and that is unrepented of and not forsaken, you can't have fellowship with God. In fact, I don't even want to say that you can't. I would just dare say that you probably won't. Because you're going to avoid the holy God who knows of that sin, aren't you? The same way that you would avoid a parent knowing that they could possibly catch you in something. You're going to avoid that. And if there is sin in your life, let me just say this. Your sin does not affect the way that God feels about you at all. Your sin affects the way that you feel about God. It's hard to come into the holy throne room of God knowing that there's sin in your life. Knowing that there's disobedience in your life. 
And here's what I've seen with most Christians, is that we're willing to repent of it when the consequences get bad enough, right? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No, we're sorry we got caught. We're not sorry for the sin. And if the goal of the soul and the intent of the soul is to be with God, then we have to identify that sin is something that can keep that from happening. But then notice thirdly, notice thirdly, that we should see the souls of others as God would see them. We should see the souls of others as God would see them. How many of you have that person in your life that you just kind of look at them and you're like, oh man, you sure do rub me the wrong way, right? Sometimes even if you don't have that person, some of you are like, yeah, I'm dating them. Okay, don't, I don't know what to tell you then. All right, that's a different lesson series, okay? But listen for just a second. Sometimes all it takes is getting on social media, and it's like, I just, I, you just want to float up the comment section. And what you're doing is you're disagreeing with who they are and not seeing them as God would see them. Meaning that every soul is going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. That's the way that God sees them. Every soul is either saved or lost. That's the way that God sees them. And you may not be able to love their personality, and you may not be able to even love where they're at in life, and you may not even be able to love the, love the sinner and hate the sin, okay? You may just have to love them because they are a soul that Jesus Christ died for and that he created and that he desires to be with. And let me just explain this this way. This doesn't just apply to non-Christians. Sometimes the most abrasive, ugly, cynical, hypocritical people in the world are Christians. In fact, you go read the Gospels, Jesus never once scolded a sinner. He scolded the people who acted like they were saints. And one of the things that you need to realize is that when you see a Christian who is unjoyful, who is cynical, who is critical, who is, hypocri who is hypocritical, that is also a soul sickness that Jesus Christ wants to take and heal. That says something about who they are. And you can say, well, that's just not my type of Christianity. Okay, great, then pray for them. Help them, love them. See them the way that God would see them. And the way that God sees them is that He desires to be with them. He desires to see their lives changed. He desires to see them have joy. He desires to see them have peace. See them as God sees them. And the way that you do that is knowing that God is with you. Meaning that that same person who rubbed you the wrong way, God's standing right next to you. Let that sink in for a moment. You're viewing them through your eyes, knowing all the while that God is standing next to you and seeing them through His eyes. And I wonder how many times we get it wrong and God just stands there and looks at us and shakes His head like, whoop, you missed that one. You missed that opportunity. I actually read a study, and I'll go through this last part quickly. I read a study about that it was basically the way that the brain views different people. And it talked about how that non-Christians, I want you to let the, this is actually like science, okay, that proves our Christianity. Non-Christians view people with a different part of the brain than professing faithful Christians do. Professing faithful Christians view people with the part of the brain and they internalize what they think about people with the part of the brain that allows for empathy and allows for mercy. 
Non-Christians essentially don't even have that capacity, according to the study. And what it found, what basically the conclusion was this, that Christians have the capability to view people the way that Christ views people. If they walk with God and they see themselves the way that God sees them. And you and I have got to get to the point to where we love people where they are and we see them as God sees them, not for what they could be, but for what God wants to see occur in their life, and that is that they would be with Him. And then lastly is this. Spend your days seeking to be with God. Give me two minutes and I'll be done, okay? Spend your days seeking to be with God. I told you that every one of these challenges that I've given, I tried to do beforehand, and this is one that I can tell you has been absolutely life-changing for me. And here's why. I get up, I read my Bible. I would say that if someone asked me, do you have a walk with God? I would be able to say yes. Okay? I pray, come to church, try to keep sin out of my life that would separate me from having fellowship with my Heavenly Father. But here's what I've found is that sometimes our walk with God, our relationship with God, is really hard to bring into our day-to-day circumstances, isn't it? I would probably say that if we took a poll of people in this room, how many of you read your Bible this uh, five days this week? We'd probably have a pretty good percentage, okay? But let me ask you, if you read your Bible in the morning, where was God at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Let me give you an illustration for me from my life. If I read my Bible in the morning and I would say that I walked with God and I asked God to help me to be a good husband and help me to be a good father and help me to do this and help me to be kind to my coworkers and all, all this stuff, if, and I prayed all that in the morning and then as I'm driving home that night, I've got two kids who are arguing in the back seat and they're, they're yelling at each other, and I want this, I want that, I want And so you know what? Like I immediately turned into mouthy mode. And like, I, I can win a case against a six-year-old and a four-year-old pretty quick. And I'm like, Braxton and Baylor, this and this and this and this and this and that. So let me give you a question to ask yourself. In a moment's time, at any moment in the day, ask yourself this question. Where is God right now in this moment? Some of you that are in this room that are teachers, you've got that kid that is just driving you absolutely insane. Step back and for just a second, say, where is God at in this moment? Now, here's what you're going to have to choose. I said I did it. I tried to practice it this week. Here's what you're going to have to choose. Am I going to respond to this the way that I want to respond to this? Or am I going to respond to this the way that I know God wants me to respond to this? When you're carrying the stress and the weight of school, okay, God... Where are you at in this moment? Once again, here's what you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose between your stress and God's peace. Something tragic happens in your life. God, where are you at in this moment? 
because here's what I've got. Here's, oh my goodness. I, I wish we had three hours for this. Some of you are like, we had three hours, I'm leaving, okay? But listen for just a second. We quote verses like, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And yet we never find God when we need him. We never consciously think that God is walking with me. And here's what, here is the, the crux of everything, is that you can read your Bible for two and a half hours in the morning, and by the time you get to a stressful situation at three o'clock in the afternoon, you will be the furthest thing away from God that you have ever been. Why? It's not because you didn't read your Bible. It's not because you didn't come to church that morning or that Sunday. It's not because you didn't pray that morning. It is simply because you have not lived in the awareness that God is with you and you need to find a way to be with God. Meaning that when you get ready to chew that person out, God is with you. So you better make sure that you're responding the right way. When you get ready to wear the stress of a hard situation and you get ready to maybe fall into sin or you get ready to maybe commit, do something that you know would displease God, here's what you've got to step back and understand is that God is with you. The question is not, is God with you? The question is, are you with God? And that's not to say that you didn't read your Bible. That's not to say you didn't pray. That's not to say you didn't come to church. That is to say, are you living and practicing the presence of God? Meaning that when you pull out your phone or you watch something on TV, God is sitting right there with you. And when we say a walk with God, we're not talking about check, check, check. Okay, I'm good. I've got to walk with God. No, we're saying, are you with God right now? And here's what I would dare say is that most of us would say, I've got to walk with God. And yet by the time we get to three o'clock in the afternoon or we get to tonight, we are not with God at all. And that's why we struggle with sin. That's why we struggle with stress. That's why we struggle with anxiety. That's why we lack peace. That's why we lack trust in God. Why? It's not because God left us. It's because we failed to recognize that our soul needs to be with God. And if you're not careful, everything in this life will distract you from that. It's really easy to practice the presence of God when you're sitting on a beach somewhere and you're watching the sunset and the seagulls are squawking just perfectly and you can feel the sand beneath your toes and you just think, oh, what a great creator. But that's not 98% of life, okay? If it is, congratulations, you've worked way harder than I have, okay? So how do we find God in the day-to-day? -day? I think that if we begin to ask ourselves, where is God in this moment? That we'll begin to practice the presence of God. And that presence of God can literally change the way that we live. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.